You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Really, the point by talking about hard times and good times, difficult times and smooth sailing, is that prayer is meant for both stations of life. And what that means is every station in between as well. Thomas Lee says, both darkness and sunshine should lead us to a consciousness of God. The two extremes serve as brackets to prompt us to pray in all of life. We could put in other stations of life. Maybe it's not suffering, maybe it's not cheerfulness, but there's a lot in between. There's just right smack in the middle, there's the mundane. The writer of Psalms prays to Jesus and asks him to not forget those that are suffering. Just like we are to pray in those hard times, prayer is more important when things are going well. Continuing looking at prayer as a lifeline for all who have faith in God is where we find ourselves with Pastor Tom today. We can overcome our discouragement when the rains of life keep pouring down if we focus our eyes on Jesus in prayer. Another advantage of honestly praying and believing is growing closer to God. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5 as he begins his message. Why should you pray more? As you suffer, for whatever reason that you suffer, doesn't matter the reason why you suffer, whether everyone knows you're suffering or no one knows that you're suffering, during that time, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to have a pity party for yourself. You're going to be tempted to give up. You're going to be tempted to throw in the towel. You know, no mas, no more. I'm done with life. You're going to be tempted, some of you, to engage in dark, morbid introspection. That's not going to lead anywhere. You're going to kind of have that martyr complex for your own cause. Woe is me. You're going to turn sour quickly and then bitter over time. Why did God let this happen to me? I'm a nice person. What did I do that was all that bad? This is not what I planned for my life this year. Some of you may even say, I don't even enjoy my life anymore. I was expecting things to work out better, and look how they worked out. I suffered this past year with cancer. What did it do for me? It drove me right to prayer. It was automatic. It was magnetic. Boom. Suffer, pray. Of course, I asked God why. You know, I was always asking God for more help, more strength, to do more ministry, and he gave me cancer. That doesn't make any sense. How does that help me? Pancreatic cancer, I'm told, is almost always fatal. How does that help me? I'm asking for the ministry to advance, the ministry to grow, leaders to fulfill their calling, also the church to rise up and be what it, this region of the country needs. So I prayed even more. Of course, I prayed for wisdom and understanding. That would come with time. I prayed. My wife prayed. My children prayed. My mom prayed. You prayed. Other churches prayed. People in our health share network gave checks and prayed. Pastor friends came, preached from this pulpit and prayed. All kinds of churches were praying. People I never met prayed. There was all, all kinds of praying that went on because I was suffering. That's a good thing. Everybody praying. It's a good thing. It's what God meant by it. pray more. You're not praying enough. You don't understand life. 
When you're younger and you, you grow up in America, everything's supposed to be just, you know, you grow up, you finish school, you get a job, and this is the stuff that's going to happen, and you get that nice car that you want, you go fancy places, and you have this expectation of the way life is going to go. And that's not the way it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be lived for God. And so to interrupt all of our plans, he has to put in our life suffering. And then we say, hmm, I don't like it. But then we start praying more, and we learn God. Prayer in suffering is right. It shows we are starting to understand what life is about. It shows that we know God has to be at work, that we have to invite God into the pain, invite God in where the loss is, where the sorrow is, and the suffering, that we don't push God away and say, I'm done with that. He didn't help me. It's not joyful. I'm not in that cheerful state, so I'm done with this. God never abandons his own. In many ways, he reveals himself in more power and more glory and more faithfulness and more grace and more compassion and more mercy when you suffer. Because you understand when you suffer, you come to a point that you understand, I don't deserve not to suffer. And then you're humbled in mind and then you pray better. And you're a better Christian. Hagar was about to die of thirst and her son Ishmael in the wilderness. And God had her out there. And then when she was about to die and gave up, he came to her and said, there's the water. I'm the provider for you. And he saved her life and he made Ishmael the prince of many nations. Elijah was about to give up. The man of God confronted all the prophets of Baal, but now Jezebel was after his hide. He said to God after he kind of, with his tongue hanging on the ground, that's my interpretation, he said, take my life from me. He knew he wasn't supposed to kill himself because he was a believer. But he said, I'm done with life. Take, you take my life from me, God. I'm done. And God sent him an angel to cook for him. Because when you're suffering, God meets you there. And he revived that prophet. And he said, you haven't finished your journey. Keep going. And he went to Mount Sinai. And he learned he was going to be given an assistant. And he still had a lot to do. You know where Elijah ended up? In heaven. A whirlwind took him up. That's how he went to heaven. He asked to die, and God never even let him die. Prayer forces us to regain the right perspective. It brings us back to the eternal. You guys come in here sometimes, you know, you're just dragging. You know why you're dragging? Because you're dealing with life without prayer. And your perspective goes from maybe a high from Bible study or Sunday morning worship or great sermon in the car, and then it quickly leaves that, and you just kind of forget the things you learn, and then you have to deal with this person, that person, this thing, and that bill, and all this, and you come out the other side, ah. And some of that mundane stuff is suffering, I guess, and you lost perspective. Prayer refocuses your life on really, what really matters. What does really matter? Think about standing in heaven and looking back on your life. What matters from that perspective? Eternal things matter. It reminds us of our special status as sons of the living God. When we go before God, we say, our Father. Why don't we say our Father? Because Jesus taught us to pray that. We're our Father who art in heaven. Well, how can we call the creator of the ends of the earth our Father? Because we're in relationship to him as sons through Jesus Christ. What a privilege. And then that strengthens us. Of course, sometimes people don't want to turn to God when they suffer. They suffer and they give God the cold shoulder. You know how it is, you know? I Men, you know how it is. Your wife doesn't, doesn't do what you want her to do, right? And what do you do? Just, just kind of just turn the shoulder a little bit, right? I won't talk to her for a while. Let that sink in. We do the same thing with God. Oh, yeah? That's how you're going to treat me? I'm not praying. I'll sit here. Yeah, I know all about prayer. I'm not doing it. Prayer doesn't work. 
You only love other people. You know, other people get their prayers answered, but no, not me. There's no sense in going back to you, God. I had a whole prayer list there, and I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I already prayed. I prayed a lot. I prayed a lot. You saw me. I was praying, and, and this is what you give me? going to help you out a little bit. That's uh, pride. It's pride that's mixed in with your suffering. What you did is you sinfully elevated yourself, and you told God, I deserve much better than you gave me. See, this is what I deserve, God. Now do a better job up there in heaven and give me what I deserve. Hmm. I guess we don't quite say it that way, but that's kind of what we're saying. The humble person, on the other hand, remembers that God could have sent me to hell. The humble person remembers that I shouldn't be allowed to pray to him because I've disobeyed him. He shouldn't listen to me. You may remember in chapter 4, it's the humble person who gets the greater grace from God to sanctify him. Remember that? Humble yourself in the presence of God. He will exalt you at the proper time. Humbling before God comes in humble prayer. Job got to that point after he suffered, right? What were his words at the very end? Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Godly, righteous man, but still needed to be taught a lesson in humility. We all do. So in suffering, we are to pray the full range of prayers. Indeed, if you were to pick up the Psalms, how many of those Psalms were written when somebody, David particularly, was suffering? Think of all the suffering he went through before he was king. So many of those Psalms, the Holy Spirit moved him to write. Why? Because God knew that down through the ages, the people of God would need a lot of songs and examples of prayer of people who suffer. Some samples, but you could go through. I mean, we could spend the whole rest of our message on this. Psalm 3, 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. That took some crying. Psalm 4, 1, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Do you hear something in there? I have to have an answer from you. Is that appropriate to pray that? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Answer me when I call, O God. Psalm 6, 8, depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. He was praying while he was weeping. Psalm 9, 13, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. Someone treating you poorly, bring that before God. Do you see, God, how they're treating me? Please see, please act. Psalm 10, 12, arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. And on and on the Psalms go. Suffering, pray while you suffer. If you're suffering, that's the harder side of life. Now we jump to the, the friendlier side of life, the sunny side of life. And that is the second condition that James says here. Are any of you cheerful? Cheerful. Then sing praises. Well, here, cheerfulness, euthymeo, it's contrasted with suffering. So, so James, uh, he's saying, you know, in either situation, kind of like brackets, whether you're way over here and you're suffering or whether you're way over here and you're elated and cheerful, prayer is still appropriate for you. Now, the prayer may end up being different, but prayer is still appropriate. Now, James does not mean here by the word cheerful the joy that he mentioned in the midst of suffering back in chapter 1. Cheerful does not mean that. It's not the joy in the midst of adversity. Here's where life is actually going well. It doesn't mean that it's a kind of glib, laughing kind of slap happiness, a, a giddy kind of comedy. That's not what he's referring to. It's not talking about happiness as a fickle emotion. It's just saying that you're in a favorable station in life. 
the life is going well for you. The things that you wanted to have happen are happening, and things are going smoother for you. Emotions are high. You got the right tune on the radio, and everything just seems just right. Life is, mm, it's, just, it's just the way you wanted it to be. You're lifted up. You're elated. There's optimism. Smiling comes easy. The term is used elsewhere in the New Testament only in Acts 27, 22, and 25, where Paul was trying to cheer up and encourage the men that were in the boat that was going to be shipwrecked. Their lives would be spared. Take cheer. It almost came to me and have peace of mind and optimism and confidence. It's really meant to be the opposite of suffering and sorrow and weeping. Like I said, life is going well. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day outside. The kids are behaving. Oh, my goodness, what a special day. The job is going well. Money's coming in. Car is running well. My team is winning. That never happens. <laughs> Friends are fun to be with. Life is good. Is anyone among you cheerful? So uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And you might say, why does someone need to pray when life is cheerful? Why does someone need to be told to pray when life is going well? Does someone really need to pray when life is going well? Exactly. That's the problem. That's why he not only tells the sufferer to pray, he says those that are cheerful need to pray. Honestly, this second condition, which is the one every one of us wants to run into, right? What do most people do when things go well for them? Do they rush to prayer? I'm having such a good time, I can't wait to have my prayer time. Do they get up early in the morning because everything yesterday and the day before and the day before that went well and they can't wait to get up 6 a.m. and have an hour in prayer with God? Do they even come to church? What's the need? Remember, the churches were packed after 9-11. Remember that? Everybody's back. When there's no terrorist attack, nobody goes to church. No, they've got it. Let's go play golf today. Let's go boating. You know, you pray hard when you're looking for a job, but when the job is great, you stop praying. You pray hard when you're looking for that wife. Oh, God, I need a wife for life or a husband. Pray hard. I'm lonely. And you get married, you forget all about that. You're on your knees when your child is sick. You're on Hope Book and asking everybody in the church to pray. Your child is sick, or you're, or you're sick, or a loved one is sick. But then when you're healthy, no prayer requests from you. None. Look on Hope Book. Where's the prayer request when things are going well? Nothing. It's all just when I'm sick. Complacency sets in. You know what? Things are going so well. I don't even think I need to wear the spiritual armor today. <laughs> I'm just taking that off. I'll just strut around. It's just me and the sunshine. This is fun. I'm on the top of the world, you know. I'm looking down on creation. Life is smooth sailing. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. He's talking to Israel, about to enter the land. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, 
then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Who needs God? This is where the atheist is in his arrogance. Don't you be that way. Rather than boasting subtly by taking time off of spiritual disciplines, loosening the belt, so to say, saying, wow, I made it. Finally. What should we do in this condition? His answer is sing praises. Why that? Because you still need to orient your life towards God. By singing praises, what are you really saying? You're saying every good thing in my life God gave me and he could take it away. And I'm singing praises to him. Thank you, God, for that. Praise and bless your name. Thank you, God, for that. And praise and bless your name. Here's a song I dedicate to you, Lord. I'm singing it to you because you've made it good for me. And by the way, I'd like to go help those that are suffering because I know you've been good to me. Sing praises. Orient your life toward God. Give him all the honor. Give him all the praise and adoration. Blessing for every good thing you enjoy. Praise goes with the mood. Here's the mood of life. It's cheerful, so praise God. It's fitting. There's nothing wrong with being cheerful. Cheerful is not to be despised. It's not unspiritual to be cheerful. It just can lead to spiritual laxity. It can lead to lethargy. You don't do anything with your Christian life anymore. You don't need to have accountability. You don't need to go to small group. You don't need to pray. You're fine, and, and you don't want to do that. You want to, you want to orient your life towards God. When things go well, with your life outwardly, your soul starts to shrink back from God. You slumber through life. Your spirit becomes somniferous. You're just now an easy target for the devil. And that's why those times of cheer often don't last too long. That term sing praises, solo, is uh, the word from which we get psalms. Originally, the term had to do with plucking the strings of a musical instrument, such as a harp, and then singing a song along with it. But it came to be used more generally just for singing. And it could include musical instruments or not have musical instruments. Either way, some people exclude musical instruments from their worship, worship in church, but that's not biblical. Musical instruments are given to us for praise as well. But the best musical instrument is our own voice. And we can use that anywhere, can't we? Dr. Hebert says the believer's exultant feelings should appropriately find expression in sacred song. It's the time when things are going well. That's the time. Sing these songs that we sang here. Sing them. Sing them at home. Sing them in the car. Let God be praised. Use our voices to lift them up to God. He deserves them. Express our great joy to him. You know, weak singing comes from a, a weak spirit. Right? If we're really oriented towards God, we love God, then we're going to be strong in our singing. When our congregation is kind of drooping spiritually, I can tell the singing is not all that great. You know, it's kind of half-hearted. Really, the point by talking about hard times and good times, difficult times and smooth sailing, is that prayer is meant for both stations of life. And what that means is every station in between as well. Thomas Lee says, both darkness and sunshine should lead us to a consciousness of God. The two extremes serve as brackets to prompt us to pray in all of life. We could put in other stations of life. Maybe it's not suffering. Maybe it's not cheerfulness, but there's a lot in between. There's just right smack in the middle. There's the mundane, right? Life is pedestrian. It's all lackadaisical. It's just, it's flat. It's dull. 
Why should we pray then? To shake our mind out of complacency, to make it alert to what's true, to remember the exciting things that the God of heaven has done and is doing and will do, to remind us that life is meaningful and that every day matters. So pray then, pray for power, pray for focus, pray for opportunity, pray for your soul to be watered. Here's another station of life, when things are uncertain or things are scary. Pray. Pray then too. There's a good time to pray. Why? To remind yourself that when things are uncertain, we serve an unchanging God who has an unchanging plan and no one can thwart him, right? That he's a rock in our salvation, right? That he will be there and he's faithful to all of his promises, right? Pray when life is exciting. When life is filled with adventure, when there's an opportunity and an open door, pray. Why? Because you don't know what's going to happen when you walk through the door. It might not be as you think. Pray to make sure that you're wise in your decisions as you go forward. Pray that your enthusiasm to do that ministry or that opportunity will remain. Pray without ceasing, in other words. Pray for all of life. Pray as often as you are awake. If you're awake, pray. Prayer should be like air. Breathe it. Pray it, right? All the time, each circumstance of life, pray, pray. That's the Christian life. We're constantly receiving the Word of God and constantly praying. If we're not, we're not living the Christian life properly. We're not even understanding the Christian life properly. Now we come to the third circumstance that he mentions here, and that of sickness. This is a hard one. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith... The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Sickness. That's chosen by James next because it's the hardest of all circumstances, some people believe, and it requires special attention. That term for sick, asteneo, can mean that the person is weak. It can even be used in a metaphorical sense of the state of spiritual weakness. But usually when it's used that way, it has a qualifier like weak in faith or something like that. Here in this context, it's referring to physical malady. And this is how the word is most commonly used in the four Gospels. I'm thankful for this passage. This is a helpful passage because the condition of being sick is hard. Sometimes it's just very hard. It can be devastating. It can be immensely discouraging. You know, one day sick is like a month. So God moved the hand of James to pen this, and it's longer than the other stations of life. He gives it more attention, and I'm glad that he does. You'll notice that most people's prayer requests have to do with sicknesses, right? Again, think about that. How many of us, when we're healthy, are praying about things going well? Well, people that are sick, they want prayer. They pray for themselves. They want prayer for them from others. We should have many things to pray about all the time, but when we're sick, it's not hard to figure out what we want to pray about. Even little children in class would say, pray for my pinky, it hurts. I got a boo-boo, pray for me. And as soon as the body is hurt, as soon as the body's not functioning, we immediately see our weakness and it just immediately brings us to prayer. This passage also contains some intriguing teaching about prayer and anointing of oil and elders, and it needs a little bit of interpreting. So let's do that. Let's take James's teaching by walking through the steps in which they would have occurred here. First, someone in the congregation of believers, someone in the church becomes sick. This is not a sniffle. This is not a three-day flu. This is not even a broken hand or back problems. This is the kind of illness 
that has the person very weak, probably bedridden. And we think he's bedridden for three reasons. First of all, he has to call for the elders to come to him, so transporting him to the elders is not a good idea. Second, the elders pray over him, which indicates probably that this person is laying down in their bedside. And third, it says the prayer of faith will raise him up, and that also indicates from the illness and from the bed. Do you know the story of Job? He lost everything, his family, his house, even his good health. He suffered greatly, but he kept his conversations with God. He still prayed. And this is what Pastor Tom encouraged you and I to do today. We'll face struggles in all stages of life. We are told to pray without stopping. Friends, let's discipline ourselves so that we may depend on Christ alone. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Peanut butter and jelly has a certain connection, if you will. Likewise, so does prayer and sin, as you'll learn from Pastor Tom next time, so be sure to tune in. You're to pray when you're facing the hardships of this life. You're to pray when you see sickness. You're to confess when you know you've done wrong so that your prayers are more effective. Dear ones, even though it's uncomfortable, we have to be able to tell God the wrong we've done and not try to hide it. When we can't hide it, He knows us. He knows everything. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.